Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today we're starting, uh, you know, I'll qualify some of this. You know, I know there's some single people in here, so today we're starting a series on marriage. And some of you are like, oh, no, we'll, we'll, I'll qualify that in a second. But one of the things that I have uh, kind of caught my attention, um, it's been, sorry, my OCD here. I've got to move this, whatever that was on the floor. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that's caught my attention is, you know, we ask, when we ask you to fill out a, com- a connection card, a communication card, that oftentimes we tell you that you can also let us know your prayer requests, you know, and they'll put prayer requests. And what I've discovered overwhelmingly, probably one of the most, the most requested things that we get here at Life Church and throughout the history of receiving prayer requests, whether it's on that card or just in person or through the internet, is will you pray for our marriage? We've had teenagers who would request prayer, and they would say, will you pray for my parents that they would stop fighting and not get divorced? And so, you know, we here as a staff, we pray. We have prayer teams that pray for them on an ongoing basis. But then our staff, on Wednesday mornings, we get together and we take all these prayer requests that come in during the week and we will pray over them. Um, One of the things I do when I see this, I I don't know exactly why. There's maybe a soft spot I have in my heart for for marriages that may be struggling. And so I will, um, I'll, I'll... uh, when I see the requests, I usually go to try to go to Facebook to find out who is this person person putting in a request. I, for for me, it helps to have a face with the prayer request and try to you know pray that way. And and so, but what's interesting is that what I discover sometimes is like this dissonance between their Facebook profile and the prayer request. Like I go to the Facebook and I open it up and. Sure enough, I mean, they're saying, will you pray for our marriage? And then I go to Facebook, and there's a a Facebook profile picture of a happy couple on the beach somewhere. You know, I'm like, hmm, interesting, you know? And if you've been married for any length of time, you actually get that. That doesn't seem strange to you. It doesn't seem odd to you because we know what it's like to be married for some time, to be struggling sometimes in that marriage, to be working hard to, to repair the marriage, and yet, not a whole lot of people know about what's going on. I mean, that's, that's what happens. You know, it's not something that we want to broadcast. And we come to church here, and we look around, and we see a lot of other people that seem to be doing great. So why do we want to talk about this so publicly so we don't? Um, and what I've concluded, actually, in many ways, and this is now after years and years of being here as pastor, but also just generally speaking, is there's a crisis for marriages in our country in our church, in our community. There are people that are hurting. In fact, some of you sitting here right now walked in here, and you're trying to do the very best to just worship Jesus and you know, just engage in worship and follow Christ and all of that, but you know that things are just not in order at home, and it feels very difficult, and it's very challenging for you. And you don't want to broadcast it. You don't want to tell the world about it. But you are just feeling this, this pain. There's real pain associated with this. And so I just, we decided we're going to spend some time talking about that next four weeks. And I just want you to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And I know those words can sound hollow sometimes, but there is. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. This pain is very real. 
And when you're hurting in this kind of way and you come to church, you know, hearing a theological treatise on, on you know, the rationale for tithing is like completely irrelevant. You're sitting here and you're like, okay, yeah, fine, tithe, whatever. Or maybe you didn't even hear it, right? Or, 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 or Pastor Rich getting up there and doing a series on prayer and the value of prayer sounds more like Charlie Brown and sitting in school schoolroom, you know, and his teacher going, wah, 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 wah. You know, that's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. I even have an image of it. I mean, do I have an image of it? Maybe I don't have an image of it. There it is. I do have it. Sometimes all you can hear is wah, 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 wah when you're sitting in church. When really there's all this pain associated with your relationship and all you hear is all these other things. <clears throat> you need hope in Jesus. You need hope now. And I get that. I remember when I first got diagnosed with plantar fasciitis, I didn't know that that's what it was. I just knew I had severe pain in my foot. And so I finally got referred to orthopedics, you know, and went to the clinic over there. And I'm sitting in the clinic, and then Dr. Tim, I know him really well. He's kind of giving me like this, like this uh, physiological explanation of what is plantar fasciitis, you know, and he's pointing out bone spurs on my x-ray. And the whole time he's talking, I'm like, I don't, care about any of those things. I just want pain medicine. That's what I want right now. I suspect that some of you are here and that's what you're saying. I just want some, I want some hope in Jesus for my marriage. I want this pain to somehow stop. And so that's what this series in part is about. There's a lot of couples that are struggling <clears throat> And I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. We love you. He cares for you. We care for you. We believe that there is hope in Christ. That's part of the reason. The other part of the reason, the other reason why we're talking about marriage is because marriage is this unique thing that God has created to kind of be a picture, an image of not just simply how a husband and wife should relate to each other, but it's meant to be an image of how God relates to you and I. Like, God wants to be able to look, point at our marriages that are healthy and, in, 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 you know, relating well. He wants to be able to point to that and say, this is what my relationship with you looks like or should look like. We see this throughout Scripture. Um, the book of Hosea is a metaphor of that, where God speaks to his people and he says, I want you as my spouse forever. I want to show you love. I want to show you care. I want to show you compassion. I want to relate that way to you. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians talks about marriage a lot. In fact, if you read through Ephesians, you'll see there's a lot of references to marriage. And then Paul says, but I'm not just talking about marriage. And you're like, well, it sounds like you're, that's all you're talking about, Paul, is marriage. <laughs> but Paul's like, no, 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 I'm talking about this mystery. I'm talking about this thing that, that you know, this union that comes together, it's, it's representative of something. It's, it's what, I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about you and Jesus. I'm talking about you and a relationship with God. That's what it's supposed to look like. <clears throat> and so this is one of the reasons why in Malachi it says that God hates divorce. Now before I move on, I just want to clarify something. God doesn't hate divorced people. Now if the church has ever made you feel that way, if you've ever been lectured to from a place like this about, you know, how terrible that is, and you've walked out of here saying, I'm, I'm, God doesn't like me. 
God doesn't care about me. That's not at all. That's, in fact, that's completely false, and you need to know that he loves you. He cares for you no matter where you've been. He knows who you are. He, he welcomes you in, and you're welcome here as well. Okay? God doesn't hate divorced people. Amen. That's okay. But God hates divorce the same way my friend Colton, who recently has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, hates cancer. The destructive nature of it. See, God hates divorce because he loves you. And it's, but it's not just that. God also hates divorce because it's contrary to the covenant that he has made with his own people. Like he wants our lives, our married lives, to be representative of how God relates to you and me. And so when he looks at my marriage, when somebody looks at my marriage, they should be able to say, oh, oh, that's how God loves me. Oh, oh, that's how much God, that's how much God's grace is towards me. That's how much he forgives me. That's really the idea here. So it is about healthy marriages, but it's also about you and Jesus. It's also about your relationship with your heavenly father. Now, I realize that there's a bunch of single people in this room right now, and you're like, four weeks on marriage? Really? <laughs> Do I get a pass? <laughs> Can I go to the beach this weekend? You know? I hope you see it differently for a few reasons. One, when we talk about this in this series, we're talking about, you know, relationships, um, but this relationship that we're talking about just, doesn't just apply to marriage relationship. It applies to basically all kinds of relationships. You can walk out of here after this series and say, this is how I need to treat my mother or my father. This is how I need to treat my son, my daughter. This is how I need to treat my colleagues at work. We'll be talking about that. Another reason I think it's, I want you to not check out and, and come back is because I hope if you're single and maybe you're thinking, you might not be, I'm not, we're not saying that you have to get married, but if you're ever thinking about getting married, um, maybe you should check some things out. I mean, every single couple in this room will tell you that the time to work on your marriage is before you get married. And I know that because I've experienced, I, personally, but I also have experienced many, 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 many hours of sitting with somebody where it's like this light bulb comes on after they're married and say, this is not what I thought. This is not what I expected. This is not what I ever wanted. And so this is a good time to, to work on that. Christy and I, we've been married for 36 years. And, um, and one of the things that I, I think is a kind of a recurring theme for us and I don't know that we've actually ever like labeled it this way, but as I was preparing for the series, I realized this is really a recurring theme for us. Is over the years, I think our longevity, and this, and by the way, just so you know, can I qualify something real quick? I feel like I'm going to be a lot of, doing a lot of qualifying, by the way, <laughs> but just so you know. Um, but can I qualify something? I'm not standing up here like this is, I'm the, we're the experts on marriage and we know everything about marriage because if you've ever, if you would have been able to be a fly in our house or kind of spend a few months, don't, like don't interview our kids about our marriage, <laughs> please. Okay, because they'll tell you some things that I might be a little bit embarrassed about. Um, so somehow or another, I'm up here talking about marriage, and 
I would feel a lot more comfortable sitting down across the table with you and just having a conversation about good things we did and not so good things we did along the way. <clears throat> but one of the things that I think we've kind of this common thing that I have experienced about our marriage and the longevity of our marriage which really helped us in our marriage is this word generosity. Generosity. In fact, the more I think about marriage, the stronger I feel that success in marriage is really more and more about generosity. The more I learn about the love of God, it's more become much more clear for me that what makes God's love so amazing is that he is so, so generous to us with his love. Think about that. I mean, just pause for a second. Let's not, talk, let's not think about marriage. Let's not think about any of those things. Just think about this. How many of you in this room have experienced his generous love towards you? Like, totally undeserving. I don't, re, I don't, re, I don't deserve it. It's not, it's not mine. I don't own it. But God has just lavishly given it to me. He's been incredibly generous towards me. And so if our love for one another in marriage is meant to be a reflection of God's love for us, then I think generosity should be one of those foundational building blocks in our marriage. In fact, most well-known, most well-known scripture in, in, in the Bible, John 3.16 says, for this is how, this is how God loved the world. This is, this is how, okay, how God loved the world. What did he do? He gave. That's how he loved the way he loved is that he gave. He didn't demand. He didn't say, live right or else. I love you so much that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give to you. And he gave his one and only son. That's what he did. He demonstrated his love through sacrificial generosity. Jesus says of himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then to do what? And to Give his life. He's the son of God. Okay, he is sinless. He is perfect. He is righteous. All of us are sinners. All of us are lost. All of us are, 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 are gone. And yet, what does he do? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to do what? To give his life to you and I. That's what he's done. So when we as husband and wife love one another that way, what we're doing is we're reflecting the sacrificial love of Jesus towards each other and towards God. And this world sees that. Okay? Now, often when we think about generosity, I, I get it. I, I use that. Let's go back to the word generosity. Just pull it up real quick. Um, you know, I, I debated about putting this on the slide because I think this triggers thoughts in your head, right? When you think, when you see generosity, immediately what you think about is money, right? And so I thought, probably if I'm going to put this up here, here's what's going to happen. Many of you are going to be sitting out there and you're going to see this word come up and you're going to say, ah, this is bait and switch. Rich is actually going to teach about giving and not marriage, but he's kind of trapping us to talk about marriage and all that. And so he's just talking about generosity, and it's because we're conditioned to think of generosity in terms of money. And I understand that because most of the teaching in Scripture, the application for generosity in Scripture, oftentimes is about money. But it's much more than that. 
Money is just one of the applications of generosity. Like a generous life is demonstrated in many more ways than just what you do with your money. And so what I want to do is I want to take some of these uh, scriptures of generosity, and instead of applying them to money, I want to apply them to, to our lives, to our relationships, and see how that, for example, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, one person, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. So here, the writer of the Proverbs is writing, and he says, one person gives freely, like freely, like I have, and I just give, like an Oprah Winfrey, you get one, and you get one, and you get one. That's the idea here. One person gives freely, and this is the result of that, they get even more, which that completely defies the laws of economics, Right? We get that. It's why we don't believe this. It's why we say, well, I'm not going to tithe because if I tithe, I'll have less and therefore I can't make it, I can't make it so I'm not going to tithe, right? One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but they come to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so we think of this in terms of Money, like this right here, this is general wisdom literature that God is speaking. He says this is generally how it works, that if you give generously, this mysterious thing happens. You get more. You receive more. In your generosity, you end up receiving more than you gave. Let me tell you something. I can testify of that. My wife and I, we can testify of that financially, yes, we can testify of that, but we can testify of that in so many other ways as well. We can testify of that in our own relationship, in our relationship with our kids, in our relationship with friends. We can testify of God giving us so much more than we deserve because we were just trying to be generous along the way. There's a, a doctor, Dr. Wilcox from the uh, University of Virginia. He, he leads the National Marriage Project. They did a study several years ago, where they were trying to examine the factors that lead to happiness in marriage and in couples. And they tested hundreds and hundreds of couples. It was kind of a longitudinal study, so they, they did it for a long time, and hundreds of couples that they tested and from various different categories, and they landed on some things. And one of the things that they found was, was really significant for one of the, the most significant category, they said, is what they call their generosity scale. That that couples who ranked high on the generosity scale tended to be happier and stay married longer than those who ranked lower on that generosity scale. And then they define the generosity scale this way, or they, gen, generosity this way. So the virtue of giving good things to your spouse freely and abundantly. The virtue of giving good things. So when it says good things here, don't think in terms of objects that you buy because sometimes you can think, well, I bought you a car, or about your house, and then you wonder, why are they not happy? You know, well, that's not what he's talking about here. The good things here is actually things like time, affection, encouragement, those kind of things, right? It's the virtue of giving good things to your spouse freely and abundantly. Now, when I read that definition, I thought, that's a pretty good biblical definition. Many of you, earlier I said, how many of you, God has been incredibly generous to you, many of you raised your hand because he, what did he do? He freely and abundantly gave to you. That's what he did. Freely and abundantly just gave to you. And he gave you peace, and he gave you hope, and he gave you encouragement, and I can go on. That list goes on and on and on. <clears throat> so take this word freely, for example, right here, freely. This idea of generosity is giving without, 
expectation of getting something in return, right? Like you could define it this way. Like a generous marriage gives without expectation of return. And that's really hard for us because we have all been discipled and conditioned to think transactionally when it comes to our marriage relationship. When it comes to all relationships for that matter, but, but particularly in our marriage relationship. What I mean by that is, you do for me and I'll do for you. If you do for me, then I'll do for you. If you stop doing for me, then I'm gonna stop doing for you until you start doing for me again, then I'll start doing for you again. And so the whole idea is, what am I getting out of it? What's in it for me? And this is the exact opposite of what Christ, God's heart is for marriage. God's heart for marriage is more like, you know, when you love in a generous way, you give without expecting anything in return. That's very difficult for us, and I get it. But it's difficult for us, not because it's unbiblical. It's difficult for us because it's not cultural. Culturally, we've been taught, we've been, we've been discipled to believe that it's all about transaction. That that's how it's supposed to be measured. One of my favorite scriptures is Romans 5.8. It says, but God showed his love for us in this. So this is how God showed his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love how the message paraphrases. It says, God sent Jesus when, he, when we didn't have anything to offer him in return. In other words, God sent his son when we were paupers, when we were poor, when we had nothing in exchange for it. There was no transaction that we could, ex- that we could execute with God. None. He sent his son. We had nothing to give in return. The only thing we could do was just give our lives away to him. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. But there was nothing that we could actually give in return. And when we do this in marriage, we're showing this is how God loves us. 2 Corinthians 9 says, when we give, we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion. And then here's why. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves those who give with a smile on their face. Like that's the way he does it. I, I, I had this, I was thinking about this just today, this morning. And I thought, Maybe some of you, maybe many of you, I don't know, some of us in this room last night basically sinned. We did something that would, would, we would say would break the heart of God, break the heart of our spouse, or just whatever. Did something we, sh- we should not have done. We are, we're ashamed of it. We woke up this morning ashamed of what we did last night. And then this morning, as we're preparing to go to church, we're not feeling a whole, we're not feeling a lot, we're feeling a lot of shame. We're not feeling really good about what we did. And so we go to God and we say, God, please forgive me. I'm so, I'm so ashamed. Do you know how God responds to that? Do you think God says, hundredth time? Seriously? You're going to keep doing it? I don't know. Maybe I'm going to give you 50% forgiveness today. That's all I'm going to give you. Now, we all know theologically, because see, we have this, divide in our head where we think about things theologically and then we think about things emotionally and and practically. And we sometimes kind of like separate the two. Theologically, we all know, no, God absolutely forgives. But we we put that in a category of theology as like a doctrine that we believe and we don't realize that actually God does it cheerfully. He doesn't say, oh, you sinned last night. I'm going to withhold. No, he says with a smile on his face, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Come to me. Just come to me. Just know that I'm your source. You don't need that stuff. You just need me. Just come to me, but I forgive you cheerfully. This is how God is with us. And that's why Paul says, God, for, God loves a cheerful giver. 
Amen. So uh, that definition, virtue of giving good things to your spouse freely and abundantly. I love that word abundantly. It's giving more than what's expected or anticipated, right? Giving beyond expectations. That means that you're not operating from the, a mindset of scarcity. Like we don't give abundantly because we operate from a mindset of scarcity. Like I'm on a budget. My love is on a budget. My affection is on a budget. My encouragement is on a budget. And if I just, you know, if I just, uh, you know, if, you, if you're more needy than, than you need to be right now and I have to give more than I, I don't know, I'm, I don't have that in my budget to give. And again, that is completely contrary to this idea that God has when it comes to generosity in our relationships. It's the opposite. In fact, this is how it works. I keep giving if I'm looking to God as my source. If I'm looking to God as my source, I don't have a budget on how much love I can give. If I'm looking to God as my source, I don't have a budget on how much affection I can give. I mean, you can make me really mad, and I could choose to withhold that affection, but it's not because the Bible gives me permission to do it. I could just choose to do it because you're making me mad. But if we're looking to God as our source, it never runs out. If you're deciding what you'll give based on what your spouse can give back to you, that will run out. I promise you that. And I know that. We know that by experience, but also many of you know that by experience. It will run out. If that's how you're going to live your relation, have your, rela- your marriage, marriage relations is going to be based on how much you get in return, whether you'll be able to give, it will run out. But if you choose to say, God, you're my provider, you're my source, and I'm going to let you be the one who gives me what I need to give out. <clears throat> There's a restaurant right, right down the street here called Blue Elephant, Thai restaurant. I love it. I like Thai food. And, um, and so I usually, I go there, I, I go there so often that there's a, a little lady there that t- attends and she sees me and before I even sit down chair at, the de- at the table, she's like, red curry? <laughs> it's like she knows what I want to eat, right? I like red curry. And so, um, and so then they give you options. They'll say, you know, chicken or beef or pork, or whatever, you know, so I choose what I want there. And then, and then they'll say spice level. And generally they say, they give you, the options they give you is one, they'll explain, one to five, right? Now most Iowans need a negative five, honestly. <laughs> But, but, but one to five is the, uh, you know, the spice level. And, and then over time, I realized that one to five, that's actually for non-spicy people. Because five is really not that spicy sometimes, you know, for, at least from my, my, my opinion. But I think that they, they're concerned. Like, I think there's a legitimate, genuine, genuine concern on the part of the restaurant staff that they're going to burn our mouths off. And so they don't want to burn your mouths off. So they say one to five. And I think, I honestly believe this. I, I haven't really... I can't quantify it, but I honestly believe that, that they just, they look at you and then they go back in the room and say, yeah, no, he said five, not five. Let's give him a two. You know, that's what I think. That's what I think they do because it just, it's so random, right? But every once in a while, I'll see my little lady and I'll say to her, not one through five, I want Thai level spice. And her eyes get really big and she looks at me like, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm like, Yes, Thai level spice. I've, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling Thai today. I'm feeling, you know, spicy food. So, so they'll give it to me, you know, and, and, uh, and then so when I, when I, and I always say this, when I do that, I say, please make sure I have water. 
I want water. Because, you know, it's so hot, you know. And, and so, I mean, and Chris Carey, every once in a while I have a meal with Chris Carey eating spicy food. And he looks at me and says, are you even enjoying that? You're like sweating and hot. Are you even enjoying that? But I am. You know, I've, there's something weird about me. I know that. But so anyways, I want water. And, and they'll put a glass of water. And I think sometimes when I order Thai-level spice, I feel like they're like, you know what? We're going to test that gringo, you know, whether he really, whether he really can handle that, you know. Because I put the water out and I drink the water all up and then they don't refill my water. And I'm like, I've got my cup and I'm like pushing it over there. I'm trying to make eye contact. Hey, I'm here, water. You know, and they're busy running around the restaurant, you know, not, not giving me the water I need. And so I'm just, I'm convinced that there's, they're back in the kitchen looking, looking out the window and say, he's the one to order the Thai level of spice, yeah. Look at the shades of red on his face. He's really, he's burning up there, you know. <clears throat> But then there's times, maybe you've experienced it where you're in a restaurant and you have your cup of water there, you know, and you take one little sip and then you're about, you put your cup down, you're about to start, and then that, the waiter or the person just come run, immediately jumps right there and, and they fill your cup up. And it just startles you. You're like, whoa, okay, I didn't really need much water right now because I'm pretty full still, but, but you're there, you know, and they're conscientious to make sure that you always have water, always have water, always have water. I started thinking about that like, as a way that we should think about our marriage. I think sometimes our spouse is at the table and they're just on fire. And things, they're not happy, they need water, they need encouragement, they need love, they need care, they need concern, and we're just busy. We're doing our own thing because after all, they don't deserve it right now. They said this, they did that, they don't deserve it. <clears throat> but I think really the way we should treat this, whether they deserve it or not, is we're like Johnny on the spot. As soon as they take a sip, we're there filling it up. We're filling it up. We're filling it up. And what happens, what happens in that dynamic is that God begins to be the source for us, right? Now I know as I'm saying this, you're like, some of you are like in your head thinking, I hope my husband's listening. I hope he's listening. I hope my wife is taking notes. But again, you're missing the whole point because you're looking at it transactionally. This is not how it's meant to be. Imagine if we both committed ourselves to this kind of relational generosity. If we both committed ourselves to on a consistent basis, just keep filling that cup up. Keep filling that cup up. Keep filling that cup up. What could possibly happen? One of the big conclusions of that study from the University of Virginia is um, they said this, <clears throat> that the display of generosity was not so much in grand gestures, like big things that they did, but instead in small, consistent acts of service towards one another. And they said like this way, um, things like making coffee for your spouse in the morning, as well as expressions of affection, like just random expressions of, like not, not because you did something, but just expressing affection. The expression of respect, you know, sometimes this gets neglected in a relationship is that we, we need to learn how to respect one another. And so expressions of respect and then also willingness to forgive your spouse for their mis mistakes or failings. Like if we just do small things. A few weeks ago, I talked to you a little bit about my, my calendar I have on a desk. It used to be on my desk. Now it's on Christy's desk. <laughs> um, but it's um, Chuck Swindoll, words of encouragement. 
and uh, the inside, this is uh, the outside cover, the inside cover uh, says this, to Rich, my gift from God, from Christy, uh, Christmas 1996. So by this time, we'd been married seven, nine years. We'd been married nine years. Um, and then she has a prayer there where she says, Jesus, I want to be an encourager to my husband, an edifier, one with a positive word, Lord, help me, Christy. Uh, let me put some context. Okay, she's sitting there, and uh, <laughs> um, this is Christmas of 1996. Uh, I was in my 30s, we were in our 30s, and um, I was in a career path of being a missionary, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this in a boastful way, I'm saying this in a very sad way, that... Um, I, I wanted to be the best missionary out there. So I was working my butt off. I was going to, I was trying to perform. I was doing everything I can. I, to be honest with you, I think I was probably very neglectful during that season. And this is how she responded. By saying, help me be an encourager to my husband. I um, <clears throat> pulled open then May of, May of uh, the, the May May 9th date, so I have it here on the screen. Uh, this is all her writing here. And so in 2005, uh, she wrote, so this was given in 1996, and in 2005 she wrote, wow, it's 18 years today. So in 2005, we'd been married 18 years. And she's, I'm still thinking, I'm still thanking God for you. And then Iowa, here we come. So we were living in California at that time, and, and we were coming to Plant Life Church. And then um, in 2018, she wrote, 31 years what I love most about us is that we're a force for the kingdom. Together, we make a difference in the world. That difference includes our four great kids. I love you, Richard Green, by the way. Um, she uses Richard Green in two different ways. <laughs> There's times she uses Richard Green, and I'm like trying to find a closet to hide in. <laughs> like a dog, you know, when you call your dog out, What? So he just made a mess, you know, you call the dog, dog scrams, you know. And then there's times she uses Richard Green and, well, don't need to talk anymore about that. But anyways, um, can, I, can I share my heart with you? I, I know this seems like self-serving and we're just talking about us here. Uh, contextually, <clears throat> our, our relationship's been up and down. We've had our highs and we've had our lows. And... Um, and we've had some great, great times, and we've had not so great times. But we've been married now 36 years, and I'm telling you right now that I, we would not be, I would not be pastoring this church, and we would not be marrying, married today if my wife, back in 1987, when we first got married, and then 1996, a recommitment to that, decided, I'm going to encourage my husband. I'm going to be generous towards him, sometimes even when he does not deserve it. Because sometimes he's an absolute jerk. But I'm going to be generous to him. And we've been able over the years to cultivate this relationship. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. That includes your spouse. You must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask us all to stand. <clears throat> This is going to be hard, and I get it, you know, because, again, I, I was very 
I was debating a lot about talking about marriage because I know this is a pain point for some people that when you walk in here, things aren't going well and there's a lot of pain associated with it and sometimes that's all you can feel, that's all you can see. So I get that and I understand that and, I'm, and, and you know, we're just praying and believing that God's gonna do some turnaround things in your life when it comes to that. And I know that you know, what I'm saying right now might be a little bit hard for you to hear. <clears throat> But here's what I'm going to say. The more diff- and this is difficult for you to, I'm going to say this, but it's going to be difficult to hear. The more difficult your marriage is right now, the more difficult your marriage is right now, the more of an opportunity you have today to show the grace and the love that you've received from Christ. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying that this is how you've been loved. So you and I are invited into this kind of generosity in our relationships, not just our marriage relationship, but in all of our relationships. So what would it look like for the next four weeks if that's what we decided? That instead of looking at our relationships from a transactional viewpoint, that I will... Okay, I, today, Pastor Rich, you said I'm going to do this, so I'm gonna, today I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to sit back and wait until he reciprocates or she reciprocates and if she doesn't reciprocate or if he doesn't reciprocate then I'm, I'm done with this I'm not doing this anymore and I realize that you hear me say this and you're like Rich this all sounds great and good and all that and I just wish you would have told me this 10 years ago because right now I have no change left in my account I have nothing at all to give and I get that and I understand that when you feel like you're that far in poverty <laughs> and yet Paul tells us in Philippians chapter four that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So the change in my account is not dependent on my spouse. It's not dependent on Christy. It's not dependent on your husband. It's not dependent on whether your children do what they're supposed to do or not. It's not dependent on whether your parents loved you the right way or not. It's completely dependent according, according to the Bible. It's completely dependent upon his riches and glory. And that's the starting point for us. And again, I'm saying it's not easy. It's not easy at all. But will you make a commitment to try to love that person that you're with, to care for that person you're with, not because they're doing it for you, but because it's already been done for you through Christ. And let that be the source of the love that you give. Let that be the source of the care that you give. Let that be the source of the affirmation that you give. Now we're talking about this not just because we want a bunch of healthy, happy marriages here at Life Church. We do want that. But we're talking about this because a bunch of he- healthy, happy marriages brings glory to God in this world. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul's alluding to. It points to a community that says, this is exactly how God has loved you and me. And so, this morning, will you make that commitment? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. And I thank you, Jesus, that um, there are all, all sorts of people represented here this morning, singles, married couples with vibrant, dynamic marriages, married couples with less than vibrant, dynamic marriages, married couples who may be thinking about 
quit quitting it all and giving up on their marriage. And Lord, I, I get it, Father. I, it's the world that we live in, this broken world that we live in, and sometimes our, our choices are not always just left up to us, but there's another person involved, and we feel at times trapped. We've been trapped before, Lord, in our sin, and the only way out of our sin was your love and generosity to us. So Father, today, we make a renewed commitment to you to look to you as our source, to look to you for our hope, to look to you for our peace, not our spouse, not our children that are behaving right, not our parents who maybe have broken relationship. Father, you are our source. And so today, will you pour into us? Will you supply our needs according to your riches in glory? Will you help us, Father, to live generously towards one another? In Jesus' name, amen.